Hello, and welcome to Inside Exams. I'm Craig Barton. I'm a maths teacher with 15 years of classroom experience. Over the last two series, I've been putting your questions to the people who create our students' exams. So, what would you like to know? Hi, I'm Melanie and I teach history and I'd like to know what we can expect from exams in the future and where technology plays a part in that. Aha, yes, the future of assessment. In 10 years' time, will schools be filled with unrecognisable space-age technology or will the exam hall look pretty much the same as it does today? This makes me think of that 7-Up documentary, the one that's been checking in with 14 people every seven years since the 1960s. As kids, they talked about their starry-eyed hopes and dreams for the future. As adults, they reflect on what realities force them to change path. I always find it particularly fascinating to see how they've had to adapt to environmental or socio-economic changes to keep up with the world around them. There's a constant give and take between noble ideas for the future and the reality of making them happen. I want to understand if there's a similar balance of reflection and forward thinking at playing exam boards and see what could be in store for exams in the future. Ben Stafford is AQA's Head of Assessment Design and Ruth Johnson is Head of Research and Development. So Ben, I'm going to start with you first. Now we're going to be going deep into all these incredible technologies and the impact that they may have on the assessment process throughout this conversation. But my first question for you is, what are some of the things that are just not going to change at all? What, what, what's set in stone in terms of assessment? That's a really interesting question. Um, I'm not sure in the long term anything is set oh, in wow. stone, fundamentally. I think if you kind of extend the kind of scope out for years and years, it's fair to say that anything might change. At the moment, we've got a focus on validity in our assessments, and that it comes with a trade-off against reliability. I'm sure we'll talk about that as the conversation goes on. But potentially, that could even change. You look at other high-stakes international jurisdictions like the USA, for example, their exams are much more focused on reliability. So even things like the open plan, 25-mark essay questions that we know and love from yes. GCSE English and so on, might not be there forever, regardless of what structure or format they're, they're delivered in. They might not be there permanently. Fantastic. So anything's up for grabs at this stage. This is exciting stuff. I like this. Well, Ruth, let me come to you then. What um, what research is, is happening at the moment within AQA to look into some of these future ideas and changes? I think in the research team, we have to be grounded in where we are. Mm. So whilst we've got kind of, we, we sort of split, I suppose, we've got half an eye to work that um, makes our current assessments more valid. Sure. So, for instance, one recent project used eye-tracking technology to look at um, chemistry questions and the layout of chemistry questions to evaluate what the best layout was in terms of enabling a student to answer the question. You're joking. So the kids are having where they're looking at the question tracked. Yeah, absolutely. So, wow. so their glasses, which they wear, which tracks where they're looking. And they're used in all kinds of mm. areas of research. So, for instance, there's a really interesting video on YouTube of Ronaldo wearing them um, whilst playing football. Right. And, and you can see where he looks. And, and so, you know, someone's analysed yes. what makes him such a good footballer. Um, but we've used the same technology to look at where students were looking wow. on chemistry items. And we had two different kinds of items, questions, some that were sort of more compact and some that were more laid out mm. with, more spaced out with more white space. And one quite interesting finding was on the one that had more white space, students actually looked at the white space. Right. So um, that's quite interesting in terms of what's going on there. You know, is there 
is that are they looking at the white space to enable their thinking? So looking away from the stimulus, away from the question. Ah, yes. That's one thing that we've done recently where we've used technology to look at our current assessments and to try to improve them. Fascinating. And um, what about for future assessments? What, are, what, what, what's something that excites you at the moment that you're looking into? So I suppose there's, there's in the near future, we're looking at what we can do using AI okay. to make marking more reliable. It is possible, and in, in some assessments around the world, AI is used to mark exams. Okay. So, for instance, in some um, language assessments where students are assessed, for instance, on you know, sort of non-students whose first language isn't English are assessed on their English skills in speaking, for instance, um, using AI. And obviously, we know that voice recognition is really good because we have Siri and we mm. have Alexa, and they're very good at understanding a really wide range of accents. So all that data is captured and then used on, on, on sort of marking platforms to, to mark speech, to say oh, whether, wow. you know, how good it is. And similarly with, with written language, you know, th- there, are, there are ways of using natural language processing to train an AI system, a marking system, to fairly reliably rank students. It's incredible, isn't it? Because it, it still blows my mind whenever kids do multiple choice questions and you can essentially scan their answers and it marks them dead quick. That's a bit mind-blowing for me. But you, you were literally talking about kids doing language exams, like the vocab bit of the mm, exams, mm. and it, the AI can... Can it reliably do it then? It's only as reliable as the training that it gets. Um, so it's, it's a system's only as good as the data it's trained on. But one thing we are looking at is whether we could use that kind of technology to, to evaluate and monitor the reliability of marking. So that's something that we're looking into in the, in the sort of medium term. What we're going to do now, I'm going to just chuck a few things at you that I've either heard about or excite me a little bit. And if you know anything about them or, or AQA is doing anything about them, feel free just to, to talk to me a bit about it. So the first is comparative judgment. What's that and what's involved with it? So at the moment, the way in which GCSEs and ALs are marked is a form of absolute judgment. Yes. So students' work is, is looked at by an examiner and it is assigned a mark, whatever mark tariff is. Yep. Comparative judgment instead offers the the judge or the, the marker, if you like, uh, two scripts from students selected randomly. And instead of assigning a mark to both, the examiner is simply asked which is the better response to the question okay. that's presented. And if you do that enough times with enough judges, then you can form a fairly solid rank order of students from the best answer all the way down to, to the worst answer. And then you can make some decisions about where you might want to apply things like grade boundaries to to those if you wish to do so. And so this, a, this this immediately sounds great to me, right? Because I mean, we've spoke both in season one and season, <clears throat> season two just how hard it is to mark these exams. Because mm. I mean, I struggle with maths like one and two mark questions. I mean, give me an essay, I don't mm. have a flipping clue what's going on. So judging between two things, this, this sounds brilliant. Another consideration, okay. really, in, in the nice. space of comparative judgment, if you're considering something like a five mark response to to a uh, you know. Essay type question, mm. and you're comparing two students. That can be done relatively quickly. If you're comparing whole scripts, for example, you know, whole a whole yes. GCSE paper, then obviously 
how students have done on different questions might influence your judgment about mm. which is better. Uh, so do you do you make that comparative judgment at, at paper level? Mm. Do you make it across maybe three papers in mathematics? Yes. Or do you bring it back to a single item? And if you bring it back to a single item, then how do you aggregate across all the items to create all those different rank yes. orders you've generated to produce one that mm. kind of corresponds to the student overall? The, the concept of comparative judgment has been around for about 100 years. Mm. A guy called Thurstone kind of first thought it up. But it's only really in its infancy at the moment. It's only technological advances that are making it possible to start exploring. It has other possibilities to us that are quite interesting. So there are things in the space of maths. We, we, we make a, tra- a commitment to try and have the first question in the paper be the easiest mm. and the last question mm. be the hardest. And at the moment, we do that based on the experience of the senior examiners writing the papers for us. We could put all of those questions into a comparative judgment Ah. software and ask the examiners to make a judgment not on who's written the best answer because they wouldn't have any answers but actually which question's harder and then that might give you with enough judges a a way of creating a rank order that, that allows you to structure the paper in a fairer way so it's interesting. It's got lots mm. of possibilities, but I think it's one of those things that isn't quite ready for high stakes assessment yet. That's interesting. I mean, my my limited experience of comparative judgment has been to use it with kids yeah. in, in lessons to say, let's compare these two responses. Which do you think is the better response? And then once we've got that decision made, then we dig into the finer mm. details of why. So but certainly for, for a, um, a teaching aid, I found mm. it particularly useful. Let me chuck another one into the mix. Um, Adaptive testing. What's that? So adaptive testing is a test which adapts to the person taking it. So the question that you next get depends on how you do on the question in front of you. You do it on a screen. And so so it's designed to adapt to your your ability. So So if you you get a question right, the next one's probably going to be harder than if you got it wrong. Wow, okay. Or more more kind of nuanced than that. Yes. You you know, it it, it might have something built into it that, that... you know, you get a question right on one particular concept, it will give you something which is kind of stretches that concept or, ah. or is on a different concept. Whereas if you've got something wrong on a particular concept, it might stick with that concept, give you something easier, you know, and eventually go on to a different concept. So, this so it's sort of personalised testing. Now, I've, I've seen similar things, um, kind of adaptive learning platforms that do a similar thing, but I've never even considered this for, for high stakes testing. Has, has there been research done in this area? Because th- this sounds absolutely incredible. I don't know whether it's being used in high stakes tests, but it is being used large scale in some places. Wow. So in Georgia, the country Georgia, for instance, yep. is a really interesting country where they've they've put huge amounts of effort into building an effective testing system. And at primary level, they do adaptive testing with every child in Georgia to the degree that there's these kind of like tiny rural communities in the middle of nowhere and they drive out with these these vans with transmitters on that enable (laughs) them to kind of all log into this this adaptive testing platform to kind of get a get a national picture of maths ability I think it's maths. I want to pick up on something kids have been sitting exams in essentially the same way for hundreds and hundreds of years but as you say behind the scenes lots of innovations have gone on so why why don't students sit exams on screens, essentially. What, what are some of the pros and cons of that approach? The only real barrier to that is infrastructure. It's having the solutions to enable them to happen at such a large scale mm. in schools. There's research that looks at whether when you change the, when you change the format, you're changing the construct. Yes, so are you yes. assessing something different? And, and I think, yeah, to some degree you are because, you, you know, that 
writing is different from typing mm. and, and uh, interacting with a screen is different from interacting with a piece of paper. And can I just ask, sorry to interrupt Ruth, is that kind of subject specific? Because I would imagine in terms of maths it wouldn't have that much of an impact but in, in longer form questions I imagine it would. Do you, do you know the specifics? Weirdly, I think it might almost be the other way around because oh. with, ma- with maths you get the, the diagrams yes, and, yes. And, and measurements and things like that. So so how you do that kind of thing on a screen, mm. you know, actually there's there's... You can do things quite innovatively and in quite different ways to measure those skills, but they're quite different from how you do it with That's a pencil and paper and a ruler. Of course, of course. What wouldn't be ideal is we ha- if we had a kind of mixed economy where you had people taking the same test on screen and on paper because I think there would be quest- there, are, there are legitimate questions about whether that's the same exam. I think from my perspective, just some of the practicalities around doing the tests on screen are really interesting. So would we have a situation where students um, came into a room with, you know, banks and banks of, of computers that were all set up that were school owned? And as Ruth touched on the infrastructure, would, would yes, that be there to yes. support it? Would that all the technology work? Or would you say, actually, that in itself disadvantages students because you're placing them on a device that they might not be familiar of with course, using? Of course. So do you want to consider the kind of bring your own device approach whereby yes. you know, students can bring their own laptops or tablets, whatever it might be, uh, into the classroom? But then does that create a disparity on kind of socioeconomic mm, grounds yep. around mm. students who can afford the latest bit of tech against those who, who can't? So pen and paper has its flaws and it does seem strange that we're in a situation in the 21st century where students are, are asked to go and sit in an exam hall for so long. At the same time, I think high stakes assessment has to move at a pace whereby risk isn't introduced into the system unnecessarily. And so it's a bit chicken and egg. It's that sense mm. of if all of the technology was invested, if somebody swooped in yeah. with you know billions of dollars or pounds yes. to, 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 to fund um, a program in, in schools whereby everything was absolutely locked down and solid then the exams could be translated, as Ruth said, into something that's offered on screen. Yeah, but we're well, a long way from that. We're a long way yeah. from that. I sometimes wonder whether assessment will just kind of miss out the on-screen stage and Ooh. go to something... This is maybe a bit too sci-fi. But to go to go to something that's that's more continuous and holistic and there's all kinds of technologies that are being used in, in contexts around the world which allow for really different kinds of assessment. The education testing service in the States has something which I've heard them dis- heard them describe as a holodeck, right. which, which, you know, <laughs> if you've watched Star Trek ever, you'll know what that is. So they, they, did a, they did an assessment where they were assessing medics, army medics, on their ability to triage. Right. And the, these, these trainee medics are, are kitted out with sensors all over their bodies. The same kind of things that you would wear if you're doing, you know, CGI, you see actors doing. Yes. Like, like Gollum. Yes. Fun yes. circus doing Gollum. So, yeah. so sensors on the body. Okay. So they go into this holodeck with these sensors on. There are presumably projected casualties of war around right, this. Right. And, and they're assessed on what they do in that situation. And, and their movements and the thing, you know, their, their, their speech, all of that's part of the assessment. Right. And if you think about the sorts of the really hard to assess things that because they're hard to assess, we don't really do them so much. That kind of technology could could really make that thing possible. So I'm thinking about things like practical science skills. Mm. Um, I'm thinking about collaborative problem solving, those 21st wow. century kinds of skills where, 
you know, what you want to do is to see people working in a group and seeing what contributions they make. It's difficult to assess. You want yes. to be able to do it because it's an important 21st century skill. But it's, it's difficult to do reliably. But with those kinds of technological solutions, you can... You can look at how the group does as a whole and you can look at the, ind- the contribution that the individual makes to a group. I'm excited about this. Flipping heck. I think, that's, I think that's a way off, but obviously. So, so you, <laughs> we haven't even got computers, you know, wow. exams on screen yet. At, at the start, Ben, I asked you, what are the kind of things that aren't going to change at all? What are the things that are set in stone? And um, My question here is I'm picturing when we come back for Inside Exam season 27 or something like that, am I going to be interviewing a robot here? I think human judgment has to inform what are the right things to assess you know what what is it that we're we're trying to do because the future of assessment is the future of education isn't it you know the Mm. two things are are Mm. hand in hand and i don't foresee a world where some algorithm determines what the curriculum is i think that where where the human has to stay in place is is in making those kinds of judgments and making judgments about yeah, what, what we need to do now to reflect the reality of the world that children are in. And would you agree with that, Ben? Is, is that the place for Hume? Do you see us sneaking in anywhere else in the process? I don't know. I think it's, it's, not, it's not a question really I've ever mm. considered in, 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 in that level of de- detail. You I think, could be out of a job, Ben. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about here. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it feels like it's a long way off. Yeah. There is certainly something about the nature of the questions that we ask of students at the moment if they if they were to carry on the effectively GCSEs will look like GCSEs because we'll test the type of things we always test there's an interesting question around how you might use something like AI to clone questions whereby you take a a basic question and change some of the details you know the numbers in a in a, a triangle question or whatever it might be to create a different different question but can you do that with the more innovative problem solving questions and will the technology kind of get to a place where whereby it can do that and actually if you get to the point whereby it can do that do you still need the human element to come in and actually validate that that's that is a legitimate thing to be asking of students and at what point do you apply some kind of sense checks around Things like cultural sensitivities and mm, and and absolutely. issues around is it appropriate to ask students a sixteen year old student for example some of the questions that might be generated by an algorithm. Mm. Final question for for both of you: In a completely utopian world, what tool would you like to invent or conceive of that would improve the assessment process? It sounds a bit Big Brotherish, but I think for me, assessment is something which has to be a true reflection of the child. So something that that was able to capture what their strengths were in every aspect of life and and that what you got at the end of it wasn't a grade, but it was a description. It was a, you know, this this person is really good at doing these things and not, you know, they're an A or they're a B, or, sorry, or a seven or a six. <laughs> um, you know, it, it would be that, I think. When we set out to write our exams, we're, we're trying to make them as fair as possible. And fairness is about giving every student the opportunity to to demonstrate what they know on the topic that they're being assessed on. And we're, we're good at that. Arguably, we're great at that, but we're not perfect at that. And I think if there was more we could have to help us understand what potential biases we were introducing into our questions before we asked them of students, I think that would be a really interesting thing for us to, to understand and, and get better at. Amazing. Well, I, for one, am pleased you haven't been replaced by robots just yet, because I don't think I would have had as an interest in a conversation. That's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.
It's interesting, isn't it? It sounds like the future might not be as tech fueled as we might have imagined. Certainly from the exam board's point of view anyway. But what about you? Are you planning to embrace technology? Or are you more cautious? Demetrios Georgialis is a math teacher at Leeds City College. And Darren Coogan is the curriculum lead for GCSE Maths at Peterborough Regional College. I'm going to meet them to find out what they think the future has in store for us. Now, let me come to you, Demetrius. When you first started teaching, what technologies were around? We're talking about the different educational at the entirety. Mm. So, chalk, again. What, what years? Else. What year is this? First time, it was 2004, but I actually walked into a classroom about 2008. Okay. But we're talking about a different country. So, yes. I had, uh, I've started teaching back in Greece, and mainly... I was uh, A-level equivalent. Yes. So, again, not chalk, whiteboard. So your early teaching experiences were very similar to your experiences as a student yourself. Yes, pretty much. I was taught that way. I've learned that way. Yes. So I was teaching that way as well. Very interesting. And how about yourself, Dan? Was it the same? Yeah, well, I came over and my first teaching job was teaching functional skills maths. Technology-wise, 2013 was the first time I used a smart board. And, yes. and, you know, as as far as knowing what to do, I kind of had to find out through peer observations, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Online materials, I mean, such as Triptico and things, some of the first the first online resources we were using. Yes. But now, obviously, we've come a long way in the last six or seven years. This is, this is fascinating, this, because it's very, very similar to, to my experiences as well. My my schooling was, was not all that much different to my early uh, experiences as a teacher. Um, same as you, Darren, smart boards mm. had started to come in, but I was just using it as a glorified whiteboard. I wasn't, do, I wasn't yeah. doing anything that I couldn't do with just a pen and a board. But as you say, over the last few years, it's it's been in- incredible. So so let, let's talk about now then. Um, what would be some of the technologies you may use in your lessons now? Let's start with you, Demetrius. As a college, we do have the adopted the Google Suite. So we do have Google Chromes. In my classroom, I have a Jamboard, which is linked with Google Chromes. So I kind of sweep toward that direction. I base lots of my teaching through Google Platform as well, plus uh, GeoGebra, Desmos, so kind of visualize all the maths that we can do there. And have the students, have they got their own devices yes, here? they do have, a, all of them, they do have a Chromebook. Wow. Um, how about yourself, Darren? But What's it like for you now as a maths teacher? Oh, well, the last 12 months have just been a massive eye-opener for me. I'm, I'm blessed to have a team who are willing to take a punt, try new things. They like to do, you know, online training and stuff like that and they're great for sharing resources mm. we've self-funded a 3d printer um, oh jeez! So, wow you know for scale we've got you know centimeter cubes that we've created stuff like that plan views side views elevations things like that these all from the 3d printer. 3d printer yeah and, so. and what about some of the non-3d printer things what, what are the techs going oh. on in your classroom well the college has now moved to google um, the Google Suite too. Same oh, as right. Demetrius, yeah. And so, all kids got their own devices. Yeah, we've we've self-funded. Um, so thanks to the government incentive of five hundred pound per learner who achieves a grade four. Yes. Um, or a functional skills level two, we've managed to generate a significant amount of money that allowed us to purchase this and to try and you know 
just reinvest in the kids because that's the most important thing for us. Yes. Um, Google Classrooms is amazing for distance learning, especially for people who are unfortunately off maybe for mm. long-term illness or, or for people who, you know, who are just sick, they miss a lesson. You can just send them the Google code, you know, yes. and we've got our own code for the year and it works. It works so well. I mean, just to think about it, how how great is it to have everything at a touch of a button? You know, when mm. we were revising, we were looking through books that are five hundred pages. Now they yes. just have to type in a few a few letters, and you know, it's it's all there for them. The technology aspect, the kids are loving it because yes. you could be all day fighting them. Put your phone away, but why do that when you can say, right, okay, we're going to recap last week's lesson today we're going to use quizzes which is one of the platforms we use as a starter activity and they can you know nice bit of competition on the smart board it shows the league table as they get them right it shows greens reds etc it's really good they can use their phones for this or they can use the uh, chromebooks transom that's another really good one we use for starter activities I mean, there's just, just such a wealth of online. I just I just remembered something too. A gentleman who works in my department, he's he's amazing and he's using uh, VR. All right, okay. So yeah, he will actually hover the phone over some of these things and it, you can see three-dimensional stuff come up. It's It, it just freaked me out. You're joking. Yeah, it's... So what's happening? The kids are hovering a phone over yeah. it. And yeah. like a shape's appearing. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it seems to me it's finding its way into every aspect of your lesson. Do you have this, a similar positive experiences, Demetrius? Yes. Technology, it is to connect us. So, for example, I, I had revisions. I'm going to give a few examples. I had revisions. So we do use Google Suite. We do have Hangouts. I let them, okay, carry on. I have to do something different. Snapchat, uh, snapped a photo, sent me through Hangouts. What, what do I do here? Send it back. Straight away, feedback. Yes, Google Classrooms all the time. What else I'm using is that I'm trying to implement a little bit of English throughout maths. Okay. So I'm picking uh, interesting maths topics about history of maths, about uh, who the sieve of Eratosthenes or where Eratosthenes was. Let them search the internet or read uh, something like for Halloween, The Crow from uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Google form, they read it. They hear that as a, mm-hmm. with a narrator. Then they finish the Google form based on the exam-style questions that they will have for their English, updated to, the, to a Google sheet, which is linked to the English teacher who teaches them. Let me ask you this, Demetrios. I, I can see two obvious problems with technology. One is the cost that Darren's alluded to. And one is, uh, and by that I mean cost in terms of money and expenditure, and we know budgets are tight and so on. And the second is the cost in terms of the teachers upskilling themselves to be able to make use of this. Because I remember the early days of interactive whiteboards, we had teachers who were flipping writing on them with the normal board pens, because, and we had teachers who, they would never turn them on all year until they were being observed by Ofsted. Then all of a sudden it's, where's the power switch for this? And it was just, it was an absolute disaster. So you've got those two costs. But are there any other costs? Are there, are there any downsides to this this use of technology that, that you can see? Don't judge me wrong. I'm a huge advocate of technology. But I will play the devil's advocate. I had to say that I've spent at least two months trying to upskill all of my students. Because if I just throw them the technology, they don't know how to use it. It takes considerable amount of time, considerable amount of energy from me to convince them that, yes, that can be an actual good thing. We can work with that. What I've disca- discovered, 
sort of, is that we cannot use technology. We can only salvage technology right now. We can only use aspects of technology that uh, our students are kind of familiar with it. Let, let me ask you this, Darren. How do you know it's working? How do you know it's effective? Uh, FE is different. We're, we're, we're like a different animal altogether compared to the schools. We have regular phase tests, so every five or six weeks, based on the key areas. So, for example, we'd start on number, and then we'd go on to algebra, geometry, data, etc. These tests, everything is logged online, results. So what we would do then is link to what we were delivering in class. And if, for example, say the algebra worked well, we'd know, okay, let's keep that. Or if it didn't, let's scrap it. I mean, everything's data-led, data-driven, you know. I'll tell you what interests me, and I'd be interested in your take on this. It's uh, If we go back to our days as, as school, uh, when we were students ourselves, and I was a pretty good student, but I still found ways to mess about with even a calculator. Like, you could spell rude words on it, turning it upside down and all this. And that, that was occupied. Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah, the classics never die out. Mm. But I'm thinking now, you, let, let, forget the calculator. Let's take this phone, which has obviously got a calculator built into it, but we can also access Desmos. We can access JoJoBit. We can do incredible calculator. We do some of the the 3D stuff that we've talked about. So we have this incredible, incredibly powerful learning device, but which also has an, a major role outside of the classroom in the fact that its kids' social lives are on there. Do we have an equity issue here? Do we have the problem that some students simply don't have access to, to this technology, so therefore are going to be at a major disadvantage? We try not to, because uh, as part of a college, a huge portion of our uh, students comes from the 10% poorest postcodes over UK. So there's a lot of disadvantage there. Using technology, it is really, really important how to narrow that gap. Mm. So that's why we do have policies in place. So yes, you might not be able to have a brand new phone, but you can go to library and grab a Chromebook and work through that. So we only require from them a little bit of extra time if they want to use technology and they can't have the technology on their own. Mm. Is it a similar thing for you? Did you yeah. see equity issues? Absolutely. I, I mean, we, we have to take it class by class. For example, we've got, we're fortunate enough to have a Chromebook trolley. So if we did know, for example, certain learners didn't have smartphones, we might, pair, we might do group activities. We might just use Chromebooks per table. You know, there's, it definitely has to be done class by class. I do agree there you know, we're very similar in, with, with uh, uh, well, geographically where we're located. It's not realistic to assume that every learner will have a high-tech phone that can access everything that you need. Is it an issue outside of the classroom that when students go home, they've got different access to different types of technology? Uh, absolutely. No two learners are the same. Therefore, we need to be able to accommodate revision materials, physical worksheets, mm. books, etc., I mean, I still, on the first day that I meet my learners, I take them for a walk around the college. I still bring them to that, you know, the most amazing section in the library, the one that's seldom visited until April, where it's a little bit dusty, you know, and you've got (laughs) wonderful maths books. And I say, pick this up here. And I make them take it out. And I say, at the end of the day, you can hand this back. That's fine. But I understand what you're saying. You've got, you know, we did mention Google Classrooms, etc., uh, where learners can access it from anywhere in the world, from yes. any device. But if, unfortunately, some people may not have that luxury, so therefore they're revising, 
you know, on their notebooks that we give them, the physical yes. copy books, or via the worksheets or something like that. I, I do understand that that it's it's something we, we just can't fix. Let me go a bit controversial as we come to the end of this uh, conversation. I remember a lesson where I, I had all my lesson planned. I had the PowerPoint ready. I had these websites I was going to access. It was all set out. It was going to be the best lesson ever. And I came in and, of course, there was an issue with the board. The board wouldn't turn on. The computer wouldn't log in. And I was lost. I did not have a flipping clue what to do. Now, had that happened in the first couple of years of my teaching, it wouldn't have been an issue at all because I wasn't relying on that technology. So is there an argument that, that as teachers, we're becoming overly dependent on this technology and that actually it's, it's making us a bit, a bit worse at our profession? Or am I talking nonsense there? We do need to have... a. A teaching element. We cannot rely on technology. Technology is just a medium. But the teaching is, is something different. How to use technology. Unless you can use technology appropriately, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing. I see. So it, it definitely improves your teaching, but it's not it the key thing. It makes it interactive. So to expand a little bit. Yes. I was uh, working for a little bit of time in a different school. Let's supply again. So... One of the students there was newly arrived from a different country. He couldn't speak the language at all. So they, do had, they did have the laptop there. I'm not sure if it was Google Translate or something similar. So it was a member of staff writing there, translating through the laptop, the student writing back. So it was a form of communication. It was mm. brilliant. It was mm. an eye-opening. Oh, wow, I've never thought about it. Yes. So yes, technology can be so important. So important. And uh, it can be used effectively for those who are not lucky enough to have all that technology in their lives. Yes. And you can show them the ways to, to do that really good. But we must not forget that we are teachers. We ought to teach them. Well, Darren and Dimitras, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. Well... That's it for Series 2 of Inside Exams. But remember, there's a whole back catalogue of episodes for you to return to whenever you or your colleagues have questions about the exam process. Ruth talked about the importance of valid assessments. There's a whole episode dedicated just to that if you head back to your podcast feed. If you want to find out even more about exams, assessment and how to take what you've learnt back to the staff room or classroom, look out for AQA's new Inside Exams Live, coming in spring 2020, including more downloads, video resources and online events to share with your department. The series might be over, but you can continue the conversation and ask your own questions on Twitter using hashtag InsideExams. It has been a real pleasure meeting you and putting your questions to AQA. But for now, goodbye. Goodbye.